Welcome back to the Pogo Podcast. This is episode four of season three. Uh, I'm your host, Wayne Pearson, and with me today is Siobhan Julian. Hi, Siobhan. Hello, Wayne. What do you have for us today? Oh, my goodness. I am so excited about today's conversation. Today, we are talking about what to do when a pogle activity on something that you want to pogle doesn't exist. What do you do if there isn't one out there? And we have with us today two people who have a lot of experience in that particular category. So we have with us here today, Sydney and Megan. Sydney Marquez Bokirin is a music a professor. He teaches music theory and composition at the at Adelphi University, and he's the chair of the music department, which is a small liberal arts institution on Long Island, New York. He's also the co-chair of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council for the College of Arts and Sciences there at Adelphi. We also have with us Megan Morgan Hoffman, who teaches biology at Berea College, which is a liberal arts school in central Kentucky. She, her primary areas are introductory biology, developmental biology, and neurobiology. And oh man, we have such great people to talk to us today about not having a pogle activity, biology and music. Let's go. So we'll we'll open up by saying, you know, just hey, how did you come across pogle in the first place? Because I think that's always an interesting place to start. How did you find out about pogle? Well, I'll jump in first. For me, it was an absolute fluke, and I'm so grateful. I was giving a pres a presentation at a higher education conference in Kentucky. And the person before my presentation had just been to a Pogol workshop and was just talking about it. Here's Pogol. It's really great. You need to look at it. Then I gave my presentation and then I looked into Pogol and there happened to be a workshop about four hours away from me in the next several weeks. So I went and fell in love and it was, I don't know if I would have learned about it otherwise. So it was a wonderful fluke. That's really a similar thing for me. I heard about it at a conference. I heard someone mention it. Uh, Sydney. So similar thing for me, but <laughs> this was a teaching and learning conference at Adelphi University. So Adelphi offers an annual uh, teaching and learning conference. And uh, it was during lunchtime. I was having lunch with uh, colleagues from a variety of disciplines. And we were talking about what we do in the classroom. And a colleague of mine, uh, Melissa Van Nelson Paris, uh, a chemist, um, said, oh, that sounds like Pogol. And I go, Pogol, what's Pogol? <laughs> and the rest is history. I, I uh, visited her class, observed her class, uh, was involved in a chemistry Pogol activity, <laughs> a musician. <laughs> and, and then she visited my class and, and she gave me suggestions and, and pointed me in the right direction in terms of um, going to uh, Pogol Regional Workshop. And that was my first sort of uh, formal foray into Pogol. And the rest is history. Yes, yes. Very As they much. say, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do say that. It's, it's, a, it's not a lie. Um, so <laughs> this episode is really focused on what happens when you don't have a published Pogol activity. Where do you start? What's helpful when you're crafting your own activities? And Sydney, I'll have you uh, comment on that first. Sure. And I just have to say, uh, maybe I was very naive, but I thought everyone had to write their own Pogol. So this was like a, a, a thing that I thought we just had to do if you did Pogol, write your own activity. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that sort of naivety um, 
made it less of a challenge for me because I felt you just had to do it. And so, um, and maybe part of it too is just, you know, being a creative artist uh, that and an educator at that uh, it, and, and putting that, those skills together um, made me, made the process not as challenging as, as it might be for others. I, I don't know. Uh, but for me, I just took what I learned from the uh, regional workshop in terms of creating models. Um, and, and it didn't really click for me until much later that there were, I, other people have books with, with activities already published. It's like, oh, <laughs> and I, I, I guess I'm still in the process of, of developing such a resource uh, with my uh, collaborator, Josh Groffman. So our plan is to actually develop such a book uh, for music theory activities, uh, Pogol music theory activities. That would be so awesome. So awesome. So uh, Megan, I'll throw it over to you. Um, where did you start? How did you get started on, you know, making your own activities? Yeah, I uh, was one of the first biologists to join Pogol when it was hundred percent or mostly chemistry. And so there weren't, there weren't activities in biology that I, yeah. And I remember, well, they invited some of us, some of the biology folks to come to a writing workshop and to try and help us get rolling writing around. So that was a gift. Um, and I remember driving back six hours from St. Louis and sort of dictating into a it probably was a tape recorder at that point, dictating into a tape recorder some ideas I had for for writing some activities. Um, so that going to the writing workshop was very, very helpful. You don't have to do that, but it certainly gave me some tools that I could start with. So when you're looking to create your own activity and it doesn't exist out there, what's the first thing that you consider? Sort of walk us through your process. Like what's the first thing that you consider and what follows after that? Um, Megan, go ahead. Yeah. Um, one thing that I did that was helpful when I was trying to start out was I sort of tested out some ideas. So without getting formal and writing an activity, I would take a particularly good diagram from a textbook, for instance, and project it um, for the students to see. And then I would ask them a couple of questions about it. You know, mm -hmm. what do you think is going, what is going on in this particular point and how does it relate to that point? So almost doing a pogle activity in the air, right? <laughs> Here's yeah. a picture, ask a few questions. Then you can listen to what the students are saying. And if they're not going in the direction you intended, you can prompt them, right? So rather than have something written where you're, it's harder to make changes on the fly, this was a good way to test things out and see what might be a good model and how to guide students. Yeah, that's great. Um, Sydney, so how do you, yeah. where do you start? <laughs> Tough question. <laughs> if I think about, about where I started, um, the models, right? I mean, really trying to figure out well what models work, and and in music, our models generally unfold in time because we have to listen to the example. Um, it can be as short as a clip because it could just be a chord, right? But it's not just about looking at the thing; it's also about listening to the thing, um, and then it can become longer examples if it's a if it's a, a, an excerpt from a piece or even a full piece. Um, and 
generally there's I kind of have two approaches. One is is a concept that has multiple forms. Uh, say, for example, musical texture or different types of chords, uh, like major, minor, augmented, diminished triads, for example, uh, or augmented six chords, etc. Um, and then I use those as models, and I, I develop questions that questions that gradually get the students to the concept, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then, uh, as we know in the learning process, uh, eventually get to the term that's associated with the concept. That's one process. Uh, I that is uh, having multiple models. Uh, the other is is uh, uh, really taking a concept that I've learned myself from someone else, um, and then developing a set of quest guiding questions. The the process oriented guiding guided part, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. That lead to understanding something about the model. So uh, a singular model that that demonstrates a concept multiple times, right? And it's accepted as a model. Uh, for example, uh, a chorale by Bach. <laughs> you know, that that's a very standard uh, uh, model uh, for us in music theory. Um, yeah, I I think that's generally how I approach uh, putting a mm -hmm. pogol activity together. I will add though that uh, I did attend the um, writers retreat. And that was really, really helpful because then uh, I, I went beyond just writing the models and really, really thought about the kinds of questions I asked, the order of the questions and the way the yeah. questions are asked. That's one. And then the the Pogol pack, um, the clearinghouse, because then I got feedback, right? Oh, it's like, I realized I didn't do this thing that was that would be really helpful for our students, such as actually explicitly saying, working in your teams, Come to agreement <laughs> on <laughs> that is like tremendously helpful, right? Because Pogol is all about collaborative processes, right? And and not not I kind of presumed that that would happen, and I did realize that stating something explicitly is really really helpful, right? Uh, because oh, yeah. uh, by saying that, it avoids the 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 problem of students moving forward on their own individually, as opposed to working as a team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I've i started in the Pogols that I've written, it always, um, or Pogol-like activities that I've written, it really does need to start with the model, you know, and making sure that that's a good starting place. But then, yeah, absolutely. The order of the questions you ask, those little phrasing things, Sydney, absolutely. Um, speaking of a model, uh, what does a model look like in your discipline? So Sydney, obviously with music, you know, there's uh, that element of an aural model where you're hearing it. it, but is it always that case? Are you all, and I'll ask you like very specifically for music, are you always going to use that? Um, you mentioned uh, chorale by Bach, is it always a full piece? You know, so sort of what does a model look like um, in your discipline? So uh, at least the models that I create and use, not, not necessarily create, but use, mm -hmm. um, it, they can range from single chords um, and just the model, uh, or they could be excerpts mm -hmm. uh, of a longer piece, or they could be a full piece. I generally, I haven't uh, used extended pieces uh, because the longer the models yeah. are and the more they are of them, 
the more time it takes. Uh, in a 50-minute class, <laughs> time is precious. Well, time is precious, period, anyway. Um, so, but yes, I would say that we always have to listen. So we always have to listen to the, the music that we're analyzing. We always have to look at the score. And then um, we always uh, have to look while listening so that uh, the, those multiple processes are scaffolded, but also used together. And I, I, I might be a little biased here, but I always tell my students that uh, as musicians, our ears are very powerful tools. That is a skill that we have and that we should use in analysis. Your ear will tell you a lot more, can tell you a lot more uh, than just what uh, versus overthinking something. I mean, while you're looking at the score and and those dots on the page may not always translate into sound, but especially for um, uh, our, our students. And, and but once you make that association um, uh, by listening and looking at the score, then you're really putting everything together. Mm. Yes, I'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Megan, you know, teaching biology, um, what makes the models that you work with different than like the classic chemistry pogo models? Right. The, the classic chemistry pogo models were, were the ones I saw anywhere were visuals. Um, so um, images of something or um, equations or, mm -hmm. and so I still, I'm still stuck in the visual. I do have to say that, but I've gone from thinking the model must be a image mm -hmm. um, to using videos or animations right biology is a lot of biology is kinetic and you have to see something unfold to really understand what's going on so having students look at videos or animations and also just text and not a book text but i wrote an activity about learning the language of biology so much of biology's terms come from latin and greek so helping students see that you can, you don't have to memorize thousands, thousands, <laughs> thousands of terms, you can decipher them. So just having words and descriptions as a model worked really well, or having, I, I have an activity on mindset. Mm -hmm. And so having quotations from different people and saying what, and having them analyze mindset by reading what people say. So I'm still visual. I'm still stuck in the visual, but there's more of a variety to them now. I love that so much. That's such a fantastic idea. And what both of you are saying that you're really pulling on, like we're taking the model from a static image on the page to something that we're engaging other senses in, we're listening, we're watching. And just to kind of go off on that, because you are talking about very different types of models, more um, active, more engaging models than, than we have in the published books, um, because we're writing our own. Do you find yourself altering the roles that students have in order to better interpret those models? So I'll go to Megan first on this. Um, I've, I, just today, we were using something I call the model pointer. <laughs> so they their requirement, because the models can have a lot of information in them, their job is point to the part of the model that your team is talking about right now to make sure everyone's actually talking about the same thing. Um, or the, I don't think this is um, unique, but the, you know, molecule handler, if we're building things, 
Mm-hmm. Um, one person is in charge of moving around the pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're sorting molecules, they're in charge of that. So yeah. Yeah. Or, or someone to run the computer if they're watching an animation or a model. Mm-hmm. And Sydney, I mean, with music, you know, how does that affect your roles? Oh my gosh. Um, Trevon, this is like a light bulb moment. It's like, <laughs> what? I can change the roles? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, yep. I'll I'll have to think about this now. (laughs) I've I've changed the names. Like I I I used to use manager. Now it's facilitator. I really like that term. Um, but boy, I I I'll have to think about this. Oh wow! Okay, that I should apply in my own classroom. So thank you. (laughs) Um, there is one thing that I I I would like to add, and because Shivan, you mentioned you know weird we're talking about experiencing models in a variety of ways. I neglected to mention that sometimes um, the the chorale that we're analyzing, um, I have my students sing it. Mm. So they're really engaging multiple senses. They're really uh, experiencing the music. I don't just play it for them. Yeah. Yeah. I love this so much because, you know, for someone who teaches chemistry, and that's me, I'm very fortunate that I have two published Flynn books for high school chemistry. And I've been working out of those quite a lot. And as such, it's like that that's what a Pogol, a Pogol activity is. And of course, we want to go through that vetting process and have, you know, these high quality activities published, but to see how we can expand this when you don't have the published activities, and then how you can make it much broader, much richer, you know, looking at it a variety of ways. Um, I love that and having the students actually sing it. Ugh. That's fantastic. Um, so this is a little more specific and feel free to answer in terms of the specifics of your discipline. But even in chemistry, not every topic is suitable for a pogo activity just due to the nature of the topic. So uh, what are some topics in your discipline that are just really, really hard to write a pogo activity for that don't necessarily go well with this sort of um, active learning environment? And Sydney, go ahead. Yeah, I've been thinking about this. Um, and, you know, th- there are two factors that, that generally keep me from pogolizing something, if I can verb that term, <laughs> um, which is uh, time, right? If, mm-hmm. if sometimes it's not actually the concept, but time. And I, I, I think that's one of the challenges that, that we have to kind of just get over. Um, that it, 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 you, we can invest the time to create activity because that activity will be of use for us in the future. But yes, there are, I feel, uh, uh, certain concepts that mm-hmm. I haven't quite figured out, um, primarily because it, it it involves sort of more the creativity of the yeah. students. So then they, they get really invested in, in wanting to do what they want individually. And and the, the 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 concept that our creativity, our individual creativity, creativity that that's us, right? Singly, and so it's hard to put that into a team concept. But I think there's a way. I mean, I like the idea of of composing as a team, for example. Mm. I'm not there yet because <laughs> uh, when I've tried this, uh, students kind of rebelled. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> I mean, I would hear them in their teams. <laughs> there was 
less sort of it was not working so um that's one like yeah. concepts that involve creativity um at the core right mm -hmm. um and the other are just more advanced concepts that that I haven't yet quite figured out how to find an effective or determine an effective model. Um, I'm I'm sorry that I'm speaking sort of generally, but no, no, I, I it's hope fine. that that's helpful. Yeah, no, I think cool. that is helpful, and because that's something too that with music, when you're talking about music theory, I can see the more concrete things like you were talking about being very open to an activity but like you said those more creative aspects like composition yeah how are you going to get four people in one team and that's right <laughs> yeah chords scales musical textures you know mm -hmm. yeah that that can be done but others thus far uh still struggling i like <laughs> i like that you're i like that you're not saying it can't be done i like that you're just saying i haven't done it yet i haven't done it yet <laughs> That's that is a perfect attitude to have. All right, um, Megan. So, what are some things that are just kind of tough to have a pogo activity for? Yeah, I was I was trying to think of this because I haven't hit anything yet that I Ooh. don't think I can do. But but you know, my upper level classes, I haven't spent as much time writing activities for those. Um, but I had two thoughts. One with listening to Sydney, the creative part, right? The creative part of science, one part of that might be designing experiments. Mm. Um, and how do you guide people through that? Yeah, you can give them some hints, but how do you make them get them there? Or um, really deep analysis of something where there's not a single right answer. And so that made me think that the Pogel, the Pogel project recognizes two kinds of activities right now, the learning cycle ones, which mm -hmm. I think mostly I've been thinking about while we're talking here, but also the application activity. And that's one um, where students might already have the skills and the background. So you're not teaching them something new, mm -hmm. but you're, help, you're letting them ap apply what they know to some new scenario. So I think that may be where uh, we need to think about it. Okay, maybe this topic doesn't lend itself to learning cycle, but maybe it's an application, right? Maybe there's yeah. a case study in medicine you can use, or, yeah. um, you know, there's somewhere where you're applying what you already learned. I love that. I love that. Yeah, definitely thinking and thinking about the activities as serving two different functions, you know, sometimes that you have the learning cycle function versus the application function. Um, oh, love this so much. So how do you respond to people who say, because I'm sure, especially in music, Sydney, <laughs> they say, uh, this won't work with Pogel. This won't work with Pogel. We can't do that. You can't do music through a Pogel activity or biology. No, just it's chemistry. That's where it started. So how do you respond to, to someone who says, no, you can't do that through Pogel? Who wants to speak? Right, well, I, I, I would probably, if this was a national conversation, I would pause <laughs> and, and really think about the question, right? And, and on the specifics of, of what, what the, this will not work, the this, right? Uh, and I would then gently say, well, let's think about that a bit more. That's where I would start. 
and then eventually I'll get back to them. And yeah. and you know, who knows? Maybe it is not possible for that particular thing. And then I would say, okay, I can't come up with anything. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I can't help you with that one. Right. And but then I'm I'll probably toggle to or pivot to another concept, an associated concept, and suggest, you know, I can't think of something for that, but how about this? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Megan. Uh, This actually brings up something I was wanting to talk about and and hadn't found a good place for. Um, Yes, of course, there may be some things that we really just can't put into either the learning cycle or the application. Um, But maybe there's a new avenue for Pogol, right? So maybe (laughs) there are ways, you know, to to stretch what Pogol does now. But also, I think if you are trying to get students to an understanding, then you can use Pogol to get there. There is, there was an article written a while ago by Dan Libby talking about how to turn a lecture into a guided inquiry activity. And then um, in more recent years, Laura um, Trout has helped develop a scaffold for authors. So at the writing workshops, we use the scaffold. And here's here's how I think you might think about this, how to pogolize something. Start with the assessment question. If you were going to write an exam or a final paper prompt, what is that? And then you work backwards and you say, okay, if I want my students to answer this question, what's the, what is the first question I have to ask myself in order to get at that question? And then what content did I need to know to ask that question to answer the prompt? And you kind of break the prompt down into the basic concepts students need to know or the basic skills they need to have, right? They need to be able to um, parse a sentence or they need to be able to analyze a novel or they need to be able to, I don't know, code something Mm -hmm. in computer science. And you just break it apart and you keep saying, okay, well, what did I need to know to say that? And then you step back again. What did I need to know to say that? Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, then you can write a guided inquiry activity about it. Sydney. And lesson two, (laughs) scaffold. (laughs) Instead of saying no, when someone says, I I can't do uh, use Pogol in this con with this concept, with this activity, with this whatever. Take it step by step and follow what Megan just said. Scaffold. I'm learning (laughs) so much today. You two obviously are um, have working in disciplines where you don't didn't always have a published activities. Do you need a full blown published activity to run a pogo like session? Do you need that published activity, Megan? I'm going to say no. <laughs> um, I think part of what makes the guided inquiry is you are helping students along a path to get to an understanding. Um, and I think I think that's possible to do even without an acti- a published activity or an activity at all. Um, I know I'm, to, to counter it to something 
it's another way of learning. I am really awful at running discussions. I just don't <laughs> do it well. I don't ask the right questions. I can't get students always engaged in a discussion. Um, but I found if I structure it in a guided inquiry way, then I can do it and they can do it. So I can ask them a few leading questions and then let them talk with each other and then bring them back. And I, that I can do. So I think there are ways to get students to explore something on their own with you just nudging them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Sydney. Oh God. I have to say no. <laughs> also, <laughs> Because we don't have any public. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's no, but I, I want to. So I'll rephrase also, the question for you, Sydney. Like, what if yeah. you don't have a, an activity that you've even fully written? You just more kind of have an idea. Are you able to incorporate that into your classroom? Or are you waiting until you have finished writing that? And you're like, this is good. I have revised it five times. And now I'm going to run it with my students. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Siobhan, if I did that, I would not ever have any <laughs> activities or any Pogol in my classroom. I think it's really helpful to think about Pogol as a continuum. Mm. What does that mean? So you you have you use the word Pogol-like, so that's one towards one end of the continuum. And then the other end are the published activities, right? For me, what really... A, is appealing about Pogo, what is really useful for uh, with Pogo is that there are a variety of ways of applying Pogo principles. The activity is just one concrete example of what Pogo is, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the soft skills uh, that are learned in the process um, can are, are valuable as well, right? So the, the idea of teamwork, like sometimes I will have my students work in teams, even though I don't have a pogo activity. Mm -hmm. But I don't think one has to have a pogo activity to have students work in teams, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's also about building that community in the team, right? So that when they do have an activity, they already feel that they're a team uh, working together uh, uh, to 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 succeed in this activity. Um, and then there there are other variants in between, right? Right. Because I may have a Pogol activity, but I think if I wait until I'm happy with it, <laughs> I would never be able to use it. Yes. And I, I think the best way to actually figure out how to improve the, the activity is to just use it. And I, I will say, though, that I usually have designed a full activity that I try out. I I don't tend to, I do not like try just a set of questions and not the entire activity. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, and I've learned a lot because then, then I know, okay, well, this activity actually takes two days, not one day. 15 minutes is <laughs> just not enough. That happens a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I either finesse the activity so that it does fit the 50 minute uh, uh, framework of, of my class, uh, time frame of my class, or um, I accept that, hey, it's two days or even three days, and that there's this continual building upon in terms of student learning from one uh, class to the next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So going right along with what Sydney said, 
about just kind of learning over time and, you know, okay, this is one day. Okay. I'm not going to wait until I've revised it five times. What are some of your biggest lessons learned from your experience of writing your own Pogles? What are the lessons that you've really taken from this? And I'll start with Megan. Thanks. Um, one is just make notes. I have my, I have my activity that I'm, you know, that even if I've used it 10 times, this class of students will see something else in there that I didn't see or will read something differently. So make notes. This was great. This was horrible. (laughs) You know, students read this question to mean this. And if I don't make the notes during the class, I'm not going to remember it. Um, And so that's really important. And another thing I've done, which is incredibly helpful, is if students are not reading a question the way I intended it, I ask them, how would you rephrase this question? You know, I explain what I meant. And then I'll say, okay, what's a better way to ask this question? And they've been great editors because they, once they know what I'm trying to get them to think about, they know how to say it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's been hugely helpful. That's fantastic. Yeah. Asking the students to contribute to that, to the process. Yeah. Sydney. So what are some of your biggest lessons learned? Okay. So I just learned another lesson today. <laughs> <laughs> lesson number one was you can change uh, roles. So role can I, I'm just going to jump in there. And the first time I was at a Pogol act, um, workshop, it was, it was NCAP 2017 national conference to advance Pogol practice in 2017. And I went up and like a newbie and introduced myself. No, it, 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 he said this in a, in a, in a talk, uh, it was Rick Moog. And he said, he said something like, there's no right way to do Pogol. And that was just very freeing for me to hear Rick say that, to say that, you know, you can interpret it for your own classroom. So Sydney, passing that message on to you. So so lesson (laughs) one, Sydney can have different roles. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Lesson three, students as editors. Oh Mm. gosh, what a concept. Thank you, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) That, that, that I will, I will, certainly certainly uh, keep in mind um and something else that i found very helpful um is having a collaborator and for me that's uh joshua groffman uh, he teaches at southern connecticut state university he's actually the chairperson there and we've we've worked together on a variety of activities we've shared each other's activities we've given each other comments uh, I've even used his activities in my classroom, although I'm not sure if he's used mine. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'll ask. <laughs> uh, but and uh, that that's uh, continuing. Uh, we'll continue to work together. Um, and then there was something else I was going to add. Well, uh, while you're thinking of that, Megan, you were kind of nodding when um, he was talking about collaborators. Uh, did you have uh, collaborative relationships that you you've uh, lent on over the years? Yeah, off and on, there were a group of some biology professors who who were at that first writing workshop, and we bounced some ideas off each other. We tried to write together, and it turned out we had sort of two camps in terms <laughs> of how we should organize things. Um, but I did have, um, and I have had a colleague um, who was helpful. And then I've also met, there are many more biologists now in Pogel. So um, we're starting to kind of talk with each other more too, but I haven't had a one single partner Mm -hmm. the way that, that Sydney has found someone to work with. Yeah. That's so great. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah, Sydney, did you have something else? 
Yes, I remembered. Okay, good. <laughs> Lessons learned, yes. Um, which is that it's okay if an activity doesn't fly, yeah. if it doesn't work. Um, and similarly, I think I've mentioned this already, it's okay if the activity you design isn't at its best form. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also okay if you make adjustments on the activity on the fly. Yeah. I have found myself doing this and just adjusting um, and, and, and really just accepting that, right? Um, and then deciding after the fact whether that was an adjustment specific to that class or it's actually an adjustment that like a eureka moment. Oh, I should do this and make this included as part of, of the, uh, the next version of the activity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such fantastic advice. I think in general, in life, not only in writing Pogol activities. Um, very much along the same lines. Uh, I, I love running the virtual fundamentals Pogol workshop, introducing new teachers to Pogol. And sometimes they start to realize through this that but they love the idea, but they don't have the published stuff out there. So they're in a position where they might have to write their own if they want to use this pedagogy. How do we support new practitioners who are looking for these activities and looking to write their own? Megan, go ahead. Yeah, um, certainly if someone has been to a workshop, they have contacts now in the Pogo project. So, mm -hmm. you know, contact the one of the people who facilitated your workshop and say, do you know anyone in this discipline? And I mean, we get introductions all the time by email. Oh, here's a colleague who's interested in this topic. Do you guys know anybody? And that's one way to find someone who either has already drafted some activities mm -hmm. and wants to share them or to brainstorm with. So that's definitely one thing, you know, you can also write to the Pogol project, but you've already made contacts personally with people yeah. at these workshops. So I think that's a great place to start. And another is the PAC, the Pogol Activity Clearinghouse is really rolling now. And you can get access to it just by taking a short training session, 90 minutes or something, mm -hmm. and you have access to these activities. So you can you might find an activity in your discipline that people have written and are trying to get feedback on, or you can write you can say, I would love to write an activity on the first battle of Bull Run. Does anybody have ideas on how to do that? And that goes out to the community and you might find someone there who wants to collaborate. Yeah, the Pogol Activity Clearinghouse, the PAC, they they really have a very large spectrum of different things in terms of getting new activities going. So, you know, if we have newer listeners out there and are they aren't aware of that, that's definitely something to check out. We can go from the, you know, an activity that's almost ready to one, like Megan said, I just have an idea and I want to jump on this with me. Um, Sydney, how do we support yeah. new practitioners who are looking to write? I think I'm just going to amplify something that Megan said, yep, um, which is consultation in a turn to to people who to your connections that you you're you're developing, right? Uh, which 
reminds me, we do have a, a Facebook group uh, for Pogo practitioners. So, uh, and if you want to just ask, oh, I want to do this, but I have no idea where to start, just post a message there. And, and people are so good about responding and helping each other. That's one. The other is if you do have someone in your institution who is a Pogo practitioner, um, then, you know, consulting with them because they will know your institution. They hopefully will know you also. Um, and even though they might not be in your discipline, as educators, we, and also Pogol educators, we would be familiar with the learning cycle enough that we might be able to ask questions about, well, what kinds of models are you looking for? What's the concept? And, and point in the right direction, even if the detail of the activity is not exactly there yet in that consultation. Kind of that guiding process, I think, will be helpful. No, that's a great, great point that, you know, you can have people help you out who aren't necessarily in your same discipline and they have that experience more with writing the Pogol activities. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I've helped out different, I, I helped a English language arts teacher at my high school wrote a, write a Pogol about film noir and just introducing film noir. And it was just, yeah, it was because, but he, he got it. He's like, well, you know, Sean doesn't need to know the ins and outs of it. It's just, it's that learning cycle. Oh, that's terrific. That's, yeah. that's exactly it, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you, 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 by just that conversation, right. the, 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 someone new to Pogol can arrive on their own to how to create activity or what kinds of models they're looking for, et cetera. Yeah. And just to, to reiterate what things that Megan and Sydney have said, um, number one, if you've been to, a workshop and you're looking to write your own, yes, please do feel free to send an email to the facilitators because if we sign up to facilitate a workshop, we love to talk about Pogol. We want, we would love to take your email. We would love to get back to you. So we are, we are absolutely open to that. And then, yeah, the plug for the Facebook Pogol practitioners page, um, everyone in the Pogol project is just incredibly kind, incredibly nice, and wants to help you out. So, don't, you know, absolutely post a question and people will get back to you and help you out in any way they can. And something that, that came up in some of our earlier conversations that I just want to make sure that we talk about, I think, and I know for me personally, for some activities that I've written, I get very self-conscious sometimes when I'm thinking about sharing them with other people because I'm like, oh my God, no, I wrote this for my classroom and to have someone else look at it, just, I just feel like it's not enough. It's not good enough. Um, as people who've obviously written their own and then shared it with others, how do you move past that kind of a mindset? Uh, Megan. This is really embarrassing, and I'm saying this to however many people are listening. This is embarrassing. I have been working on activities for 16 years, and I have been I've played lots of roles in the Pogo project where I am reviewing people's activities or giving them feedback on their activities or helping them write their activities. And I have not had the confidence mm -hmm. to put mine into that same process. And so just this year, I finally got over myself and I'm starting, I'm starting to submit these to the pack. Um, I'm starting to ask other folks for feedback. And as, as you said, Siobhan, 
there's nobody to be afraid of in this right. project, right? No one is judgmental. No one is going to write back and say, oh my God, Megan, what the heck were you thinking? <laughs> that Right? That's not going to happen. No, no, not so everybody in this project wants to help us be better teachers and better writers. So the pack yeah. is there. Colleagues are there. Just, just, just do it. <laughs> yeah, Sydney. I think for me, it's the experience of being someone who's really interested in pogo practice without activities. I feel like I'm. Um, I would like to pay it forward. Is that the right phrase? Oh yeah, uh, for, yeah. Uh, yeah. By and not worrying about my my ego in the process uh, and just letting that go. I I I completely agree. You know, uh, Siobhan, in terms of hesitation in sharing and being critiqued oh gosh right that that's yeah. really can be very challenging but for me uh, i i i think about well if these are available if these are shared if others know that there are music uh, uh, folks in music theory who are writing pogo activities then then maybe they'll they won't say Oh, that's not possible, right? Because we know it is possible, and and that can only be known if we put ourselves out there. You're you're such a you're such a torchbearer, Sydney. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. Wait, yeah. sorry. What what does that phrase mean, torchbearer? It just means you're 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 just you're heading the charge. You know, you're you're leading the way. You know, <laughs> you're representing music teachers out there, but you know, really showing them that. That this is possible, because I know that I'm fairly certain that Pogel pedagogy is not widespread amongst the music educators community, but you being out there and you having the courage to put your activities out there and and your platform to say, hey, this works now, nah, man, that's going to that's going to change so many people's minds and push Pogel in such an exciting new direction. Well, you know what I've been thinking about is my are, are my students. So I have a lot of music ed majors in my classes. So um, uh, they enjoy Pogo. So I'm like imagining 10 years down the road, will they be using, the, writing their own Pogo activities for their students? Uh, that excites me. You know, that just, uh, yeah, that, that would be terrific if that happens. But I also am careful that I don't push them in that direction, that yeah. really it's their personal journey. Um, but I am hopeful that they seem to be having a very positive experience and that this is the kind of learning, the kind of learning experience or the kind of learning process that they would want to have their own students experience in their classrooms. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Thank you both so much for talking with us. And I just want to give you an opportunity to, you know, say, have your last final piece, last little bit of sign off. Um, Sydney, what are what are your final words of wisdom that you want to give to us here today? Uh, I don't know. And not words of wisdom, just but just words of gratitude. I am mm -hmm. so grateful for this opportunity. Thank you for inviting me. And and uh, shout out to all music theorists there. I'm here. <laughs> Feel free to contact me um, and we'll chat. Thank Love you it. again. Love it. Megan. 
Uh, yes. Also, thank you for including me in this. Uh, it's been it's always a joy to talk with all of you folks. I could sit and talk Poco forever, and especially <laughs> with Sidney and Siobhan and Wayne. It's it's wonderful. Um, and I just welcome everyone to the Pogo community who's listening to this. Yes, definitely, definitely. If you're new to the community and you have any questions, please just contact someone, post to Facebook, and we will happily support you in your journey as you start writing some of your own activities. Thank both, thank you both so much for sharing everything. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you everyone for listening, and I will hand it back to Wayne. Well, thank you, Siobhan, and thank you, Megan and Sydney, for just a fantastic, uh, shall I say, really active uh, conversation about uh, the Pogo Classroom and the activities that we use in the Pogo Classroom. Now, of course, this is where we ask our listeners to join the conversation. Again, if you go to the Facebook page and you use hashtag the Pogo Podcast, you can join in this conversation. Let us know what you do when faced with the lack of an activity in your classroom and how you can pogle through that situation. So um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of the Pogle Podcast. Bye-bye, everybody. Mm-hmm.